Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for taking time to be with us as we help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues, getting broadband everywhere it needs to be. Today, we have a true internet hero with us on the show. Broadband for the Rural North. This is a co-op in the northwest area of the UK that represents eight parishes that united their efforts to get broadband into an area that that incumbents pretty much um, shunned. And so uh, getting a lot of uh, local spirit and gumption and uh, initiative, they basically built, have started building their own uh, broadband network. They've uh, funded it. They have staffed it. They've dug the trenches literally for it and uh, are making some great progress. So much so that last Tuesday, the Internet Service Providers Association in the UK presented uh, Broadband for the Rural North with its annual Internet Heroes Award. So today, we have one of the key founders and great mover and shaker of the uh, this particular broadband effort, Chris Condor. Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Great to be here at last. Yes, indeed. We had a little bit of a glitch there last week, but we've got it all together, and here you are today, and live from the UK, I would add. So we're going coast to coast to continent here today. So this Across is pretty the cool. Pond. Um, so I don't have control volume. I don't have volume control here for you. So make sure you, you, um, you know, protect loudly on your end and we'll be good to go. So let's get right into it. Let's start with, um, uh, describing the award, uh, that you guys just won and, and, and what that was all about and who the organization is that presented the award. Uh, well, this was ISPA, Internet Service Providers Association. So all the ISPs in the UK have this association and they have these uh, competitions every year for the best ISP and the best business ISP. And for a bit of fun, they have a Internet Heroes and Internet Villains Award. And we were nominated for the Internet Heroes, so we were really, really chuffed about that, just to mm-hmm. be nominated. But to actually win it was fantastic. We were over the moon, really. Quite, a, quite an honour. So that basically puts you up there as like one of the best providers. No, 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 no. We're not no, one of no. the best providers. We're an internet hero for what we're trying to do. We haven't done it yet. We're still building our network and trying to build a really good network. So one day we might win the best uh, ISP award. But up to now, we're just a hero of the internet in their eyes, which is good because they're our peers. That that is pretty excellent. That is uh, definitely a, g- a great award, and congratulations on that. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> we we need to get some some awards like that going on here in the U.S. Actually, because we need to recognize those um, organizations, be they uh, community or private company driven or whatever, that are out there making great strides to advance broadband. You know, far beyond where it is currently. I mean, it's it's good in in a lot of places, but there's definitely a lot of room for um improvement. So let's talk about um your project, starting with the funding uh aspect. I think this is what actually uh, attracted me to you guys in the beginning was the fact that you're you issued your own stock, 
basically in this community organization. Uh, so you you pick up the thread. What what did how did you guys do it, and what did you do, and how did it all turn out? Um, well, we started off going for funding. We we sort of helped our local city council provide a um, a spec for building a network and getting funding for it. But our city council didn't run with it, and we were left with all this work we'd done for this project that we thought was a really, really good project, and so did everybody else. Uh, but there was no funding for it, so we thought, well, we won't waste all this work because we'd worked very hard with the communities, and we'd established there was a very great demand in our area for a broadband service because these people are still on dial-up um, or satellites or Wi-Fi, and everybody seemed to want it and want us to do it. And so we thought, well, how else can we do it when there's no funding for it? So we had a rethink and we added some more uh, places in that we knew were desperate for broadband till we ended up with over a thousand properties uh, which could build a viable network. And then we had to figure out how to get some money and we could borrow the money or there's, there's lots of different ways or we could have tried for more funding, but to get funding takes a long time. So we thought, well... Uh, we'll do it ourselves and people can put their own money in and can own their own network. So then we had to figure out how to do that. And in the UK, if you're classed as a community enterprise or a charity and you're doing something that's classified as risky, such as uh, wind turbines or community farms and shops and things like that, it, it's called a risky enterprise. And the government will give you 30% tax back on your shares. So we registered our business and uh, set about uh, figuring out if the community wanted this. So we did lots of parish meetings in all the different villages to see if there was enough support. And we thought there was. So it's all been done in stages. We've been doing it a long time now to get to where we are. And we had to be sure the community actually wanted this. And if we built it, would they subscribe to it? Um, so we set up a bean counter on, a, on our website and everybody who wanted it had to register that they wanted it and would be prepared to buy shares. Uh, and it, we reckoned if we got over half of the people to commit to, to joining us, it was worth doing. And we did. So then we moved on to the next stage, which was issuing these community shares. And we did like a special offer um, if you want to get your tax back, your 30% tax back off the government, you have to buy £500 worth or more of these shares. And um, we said that if somebody bought £1,500, they could have their first year's connection uh, free and the actual connection charge of £150 would be free. So that saved them some money as well. And together with the tax back on the remainder of the £1,500, um, the actual £1,500 share ends up costing them £600, if you see what I mean, mm -hmm. but it was going to be worth £1,500. So it's a risk because you might lose all your money, um, but a lot of, enough people thought it was a, a good enough risk to take, and we got enough money uh, by our deadline, which was February, to build the whole of the core of the network through the eight parishes. So that's not the whole network, it's just the core of it. And we said if we reached that amount of money, which was £300,000, 
that we would then buy all the stuff for the core network and build it. And everybody else, like me, on one of the other routes would have to wait while we built the core. And we raised the money, so then we bought all the equipment for the core. Now, if if that's all the ducting and all the lighting equipment and the head end and everything. So, theoretically, uh, we reckon that if every single person um, dug this network in on the same day, the whole network could have been built in a day. But life, <laughs> life isn't like that, and we've got farmers who are lambing, so they can't dig. And then we had farmers who are siloing, and farmers who are waiting to silo, and rain and everything else. So the core isn't totally built yet, but we've got a lot of one of the parishes where the head end is, the hub, we've got uh, that all ducted up. And we actually completed it last night about five o'clock and got it all electrified um, and done. So now we're waiting to blow the fibre through it, which will be tomorrow or the day after or whenever we can get it sorted. So you think you think on paper everything looks great and you can do this in this amount of time and this in this amount of time, but in real life, it's like the interview didn't go out last Thursday, did it? You know, you yeah. have so you you sort of regroup and you fix it for the, the next suitable date and you just move and shake with it. You know, it's it's groundbreaking stuff. Is this nobody's done this sort of project that I know of in our country and we've nobody to copy off and ask advice from so we just do the very best we can we're just a community doing it for ourselves that's pretty good though when you set up your initial um, budget or, or goals for how much money you wanted to raise when you factored in the cost of building the network were you factoring in the fact that you would get um, a lot of the labor done by the farmers and the residents themselves that's the whole basis of the whole project really um, we need £1.86 million to build the whole of our Phase 1 network. And the Phase 1 network is actually growing because little bits of communities around the edges keep saying, well, if we raise some money, can we join you? So the original 1,400 properties has now gone up a bit So as we keep adding more of these desperate people on because there are a lot of desperate people around here. Um, so if, the, if we stick to the original plan, which was 1.86 million, of that, uh, 600,000 is Class B shares. And Class B shares are what the farmers and people get paid uh, for the work they do. So they get if they dig some ducting in, they'll get paid so much a metre and they buy shares with that and then they get taxed back on that. And that's, it's like back to back. They get paid, they buy shares. And they're Class B shares, and we've £600,000 of those. It's like a third of it is, is the cost of the labour, the digging. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty um, that's a pretty bold commitment, all things considered. I mean, because in this case, you're asking not only for them to uh, raise the money or you know invest the money, but you're also asking them to be... The workers. Now it sounds like you, the workers, uh, those who are digging, are getting paid, or like, or is that sort of an offset of the what they pay for the broadband is offset by how much time they put into the building part? Um, well, nobody has to buy shares to 
get a connection because a lot mm-hmm. of people can't afford to buy shares. Um, but we're just thinking that a lot of people can afford to give some time now and then, even if it's cumulative, so that it's a few hours here and a Saturday here and a Sunday there, and add it all up and then they'll get paid so much. And if they earn £1,500, that gives them a free connection. Hmm, interesting. So there was a lot of lot of math went into this, clearly. But I mean, but, but on the flip side, obviously it's working because you're both raising the money and you're getting people to do the um, the work, and you're in, in essence they are becoming the full on company. I mean, in every respect, they are the builders, they are the contractors, they are the um, you know the the staff. Yeah, and, and they're, they're, they own it as well. It's mm-hmm. their company. And whatever they say goes. So if their company makes more money than it needs, which is what we're trying to do, we're not trying to be in debt all the time. We've got to wipe our faces. We've got to make enough money to make it sustainable. And But if we make more money than we need, the people will decide what where that money goes, whether we help some more people with it or we reduce our prices, or we put a new roof on the church, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a true community enterprise. It's, it's like a cooperative type thing. So we can't decide, oh, well, seeing as though it was our idea to build this company, we'll have a wage rise. We can't do that. It's up to the people who own this company uh, what we do with any excess income over expenditure. Mm-hmm. And so, we can start to pay people out. So if people who want the money back from the shares, uh, once we're into profit, we can start to pay them back. Mm-hmm. So it's a um, a co-op in every sense of the word there, which uh, makes a lot of sense. Because you know, obviously we have a lot of those here in the U.S. They're structured in different ways. Um, and in fact, I heard earlier today that in the state of Washington, they have a uh, policy in place there through the public utility districts that for uh, their infrastructure, people can dig their own uh, trenches as well for their properties, which is, you know, definitely a a positive sign. Um, Let's see. Now, you're also having – you're selling sponsorships for uh, part of the conduit as well. How does that particular part work? Oh well, that was uh, that was the radio interview I did with Ken Fallon on the uh, podcast radio thing that he does, and he was just he, we were just talking about it, and then he said, "Well, why don't you do, uh, sponsor a meter of duck?" We thought it was a good idea. Is that chicken at your end? Yeah, yeah the, the, yes, it is. I'm afraid so. <laughs> it's all right. Adding a little ambiance here to the whole, you know, yeah, the, the, the rural nature of this whole discussion. Cyber to the farm. Yeah, so we were talking about it and we thought it was a good idea. So I asked the committee and the committee thought it was a good idea. So we started this sponsor a meter campaign. And uh, if anybody wants the name writing on the duct, then we go and write it on in big writing and take a photograph of it and put it on our website. And uh, another chap on the committee called Martin, who uh, uh, does the website, he... um, sends everybody an email saying thank you and he set up a PayPal account so it was really easy for people to pay a fiver and we've had some uh, really nice people buying a metre of fibre duct sponsoring a metre of fibre duct Mm -hmm. it just makes the community even bigger because everybody who sponsors a metre then 
joins our network of people. Excellent. Uh, now, do you consider that making a, I don't know, a notable amount of money, or is it more, uh, or is its biggest value that it's just drawing more people into the project? It's drawing more people into the project, really. I think we're about to 550 pounds we've made, so it's not going to um, be a massive contribution, but it'll get another 500 meters of uh, duct in the ground, won't it? <laughs> It'll get to another extra is extra. You got to got to work with that. Yeah. Now, um, uh, did you find that that um, you you gathered any extra? I don't know scrutiny or were people more? Uh, you know, I don't know reserved about investing uh, in this particular project or or how eager were people to you know come on board? Oh, we've three different lots of people here, we've found. We've got the early adopters who say, wow, fantastic, count me in. And immediately the money comes in and you, they get the share certificate. And then you've got another batch of people who are a little bit more conservative and they they think about it for a long time and then they talk to other people and then they say, yeah, right, yeah, we're going to do it. And then they do it. And then you've got another tranche of people who uh, can't really afford it and uh, they have to save up for it. And having saved up for it, they think, well, that ducting's nowhere near my house yet. Um, I think I'll just wait a little bit longer until they get this uh, sucker running and get it lit. And that next batch of shares, we are thinking, well, we sort of know, but you can never be sure in this game, we sort of know the next batch of, of shares will come in as soon as we get it lit. So we're concentrating on, on getting that um, hub lit up in, in the, the, the main village, which is Quorma, um, and then getting the locals in to come and see it working. And I think once they see it working and they see how good it is, and especially when the kids see how good it is, because we've got some kids who want to do some real high-powered gaming demonstrations on it. And if the kids are impressed, they'll tell the parents, yes, this really is good, and we want it, Dad, and um, the next batch of shares will come in, which will enable us to buy more ducting to get more of the roots on. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to get the core route done and get all these parishes connected. That's our That's our first plan. And then like a spider's web, all the other routes come out. And then the communities will then start to see what is possible once they've got a really good internet connection. <laughs> now, how does the process go with the um, with the trenching? Do you, I know you bought the equipment, but did you also have to, like did the people who sold you the equipment also give you training and so forth? Because I think the average person might, you know, want broadband, think about broadband. They may not necessarily think about, well, gee, we could actually do the physical work ourselves. Um, there's not a terrific lot to learn, really. Um, the main thing with the ducting is it's got to be laid completely straight and and it hasn't to wiggle from side to side in the trench and it hasn't to go up and down over stones and things. So you've just got to be sure that you lay this duct in in as straight a line as you possibly can and keep it taut. And it's quite rigid stuff is the ducting. Um, and that's, re that's basically all you have to do. You have to bury it deep enough to be safe 
Um, you haven't to wreck any of the farmer's drains in his field, but the farmers doing it themselves know where most of the drains are. Um, when it comes to joining the ducting together, uh, the company we bought the ducting from, which is a, a Scottish company uh, called Mtel, they came down and they trained us all, and um, we filmed it so that we had a reference to it, to what they said in case we forgot. Um, they let us practice uh, when they were showing us how to do it. We bought the tools off them, so we had the correct tools for the job, the very, very sharp knife to cut the ducting and the thing to clean the end of the ducting. We bought all the joiners from them so that we're joining the ducting with the correct things. Um, and, I mean, it was only an afternoon of training, and then we, we just practised and we did it. And now we can show other farmers and other people how to do it. You know, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it, really is. it really is. It's very, very simple stuff when somebody's shown you what to do. It's far easier than using Microsoft Word or something. <laughs> and, and it makes it affordable so a rural community can actually afford to do it. If there's enough of you want it, you can afford to do it. That's pretty amazing. Now, have you gotten feedback from other communities that, like when you explain to them, well, you know, our own farmers dig these trenches, they put in the the, the conduit and so forth. Do, do people, I don't know, sense or gather that they could actually do that as well? Or does well, that take a little bit of persuading to get them over that first shock of, well, I can't build high technology? Um, well, there's two communities that I know of who are replicating our plan in their community, but in a different way, because every community is different. And some people are very rich. Some communities have lots of rich people living in them uh, who are prepared to put money up. So that sort of, and some communities manage to get funding from the local councils or governments or whatever. So every everything's different. We can't say, this is our template. If you do this, you'll be fine. Because mm -hmm. a lot of communities aren't like ours. We've got a very, very supportive, hard-working community here. And there's lots of people doing lots of things behind the scenes, although it always seems to be me spouting off about it. But there are an awful lot of people here doing a lot of work. And other communities might not have such a high quality of people. I don't know. But there's two that I know of who are who are doing a similar thing, having seen what we're doing, they're adapting our plan to their circumstances, and one's called Broadband for the Rural South, and they're doing quite good stuff from what I've seen. And we're trying to help other communities with what limited time we've got, but all our effort has to go into making our network work, basically. Mm -hmm. But once we've done it, we're very well. We're more than happy to share what we've learnt with others. More than happy because we think it's going to be replicable. Mm -hmm. Somebody's got to do do it first and make all the mistakes and find <laughs> all the good things. And you know, every time you, something goes wrong, something always goes right straight after. So you never actually lose hope in anything. You just keep on keeping on, really, till it's mm -hmm. done. Does the um do the small towns have a bigger uh, challenge, or actually any town really, where you have cement that you have to dig up to lay conduit versus, you know, out in the farmlands where it's mainly you're just digging up dirt? 
We don't have any small towns. Um, okay. We have villages and hamlets, so you've got villages of sort of 20, 30 houses fairly close together. Okay. Um, And then our biggest village is, I suppose, my village nearest me, which is rare. There's 220-odd houses in that village, but it's surrounded by fields, so we just go through the fields and up the back gardens. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually have to dig any, any roads or pavements. But I'm guessing that if I if I look at what what you're doing there, I mean the, the the funding part, obviously, you know, any any community can get behind that particular effort. But the the digging of trenches and so forth, I'm assuming that for a small town or anywhere that they have, you know, paved roads and paved sidewalks and all of that, that this would be they 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 may have to find a different they may have to bring in professionals to dig that up as opposed to what you're able to do in in more in the more rural areas where you're dealing with uh you know just where where you're not dealing with with uh pavement uh we can use trenches that cut a slot you know like the ditch witch type machine mm-hmm. so we can cut a narrow slot just the just the width of the cab of the ducting we can also use aerial if we wanted to so we can go from house to house or pole to pole um also, we've got a group of four houses which we've already tried this on, so we've we've ducted them up, and the duct comes up at the first house, goes up to the gutters at the top of the roof, and along each gutter and into each house that way, so it just bypasses the pavement totally, and it goes from house to house, and that depends on the four different houses allowing that ducting to go along their house to get to their neighbours. So if you can get little groups of people working together and coming up with their own solution, which is what these four people did, um, and then we've got another one that we've got to cross a, a, a sort of a, a country lane that belongs to one of the people, and to get to his house, we've got to go under this little lane, which costs about £500, something like that, and he's saying, well, well, £500, it's an awful lot of money, and I said, well... That that cut under that road is actually going to three of your neighbours too. Why not talk to them and see if all of you can get together and you all pay £125 because it's a benefit to all of you and see if you can all work together to share the cost and share the dig. But it it is a case of everybody has to do their bit. It's no good waiting for a magical company called Barn to come along and give you an internet connection because there isn't a magical company called Barn. You know, we are bad. We, the people, are doing it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we've all got to do our bit. And even if it's just brewing up for the digger men, you know, we were working yesterday and it started to rain and we're shivering in the rain and we're still sweating because of all the digging. And somebody came out and said, would you like a cup of tea? And, I mean, it makes such a difference. Just to say, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> you know, that is building barns, just brewing mm-hmm. tea. So let's talk about um, the other uh, positions and so forth. I mean, because for the most part, you have, I think when we talked a few weeks ago, uh, you mentioned that you have uh, uh, local people, what, providing service, providing training as far as getting hooked up, you know, on the net and so forth. I mean, you've, you've, you've you've got local folks involved with more than just the trenching aspects, right? Yeah, we've got a lady who... 
was sort of an accountant before she re- retired or semi-retired and she does a lot of stuff for us. We've got an, an actual accountant of our own as well um, who does it. Hello? Hello? Still there? No, I'm here. Sorry. Um, yeah, we've got a local accountant who uh, you know does our audits and everything. I've got an echo now. Are you, are you still okay, Nicole? Yes, I think we're having some sort of um, connection issue, but but, I, but I'm hearing your voice okay, so just we'll carry on. Okay, we've got local solicitors and lawyers who want to help us, so they'll just keep you know keep an eye on documentation for us and make sure we don't go wrong with anything or do anything wrong. Um, what else have we got? Um, we've got a, a local fiber training company. Um, in the next valley, who's also doing a fibre project of their own, and they're very supportive. There's lots of lots of people very supportive and do their bit, even if it's not digging. Mm-hmm. So, have you used outside um, support, uh, support or resources uh, in, in any way? Then, or is it just strictly? I mean, entirely a community-run project. Uh, it's an entirely community-run project, uh, but some of the help have come from other communities, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's folks banding together, cross-community cross, cross community boundaries, as it were. To it make is, it definitely. And we've had a lot of help just from listening to your show, to be honest, because some <laughs> of the guests you've had on, uh, they've just reinforced what we think, and we think, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what we thought. And it's working for them. Let's give it a go. Mm-hmm. It's all well, about listening, and, uh, listening, and seeing what other people are doing. You can adapt it to your needs. Then. Mm-hmm. Now, what about um, challenges? Are there, there must. <laughs> I'm guessing there are, are quite a few of them. Even though you, you seem to be overcoming them one by one, which is very good. But uh, you know, what what kind of challenges have you seen that? You know, you kind of look back and maybe wonder how you got past some of those. Oh, I tried to forget them, actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough. (laughs) Challenges, the media is a challenge. So, you know, people probably want to know, okay, well, they did that, and that sounds wonderful, but they must have had some, you know, some days when there were certain things that were a real pain to deal with. The weather's our biggest challenge, really, to be honest. You think you're all set. And this is going to happen on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday you're going to do that, and on Thursday that means you can book this man to do that. And then it rains on Tuesday, and it's still too wet on Wednesday. So you have to cancel the man on Thursday. So the man on Thursday gets very fed up because you've cancelled him. And then the weather fares up, and you're all ready to go again. And the farmer says, well, actually, no, my grass is too long. You'll have to wait till I take a crop off that. And it's that sort of thing, really. It is the weather. The weather is your biggest challenge. And also rocks. We've had a really bad week for rocks. We've had a dig that was all football rocks. Massive rocks. No soil, just rocks. And we couldn't plow. It had to be dug, which adds to the cost. It's very, very cheap if you plow it. But when you're digging it, that takes a lot longer. And there's nothing you can do about rocks. So you just have to assume that all your land is rocky and then when it's not and it's nice that's great but budget for it being rocky (laughs) 
Wow. <laughs> that um that is quite that is quite the effort. So where does your where does your um cabling I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the right words here. At some point you've got to connect to the 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 bigger public internet. How far do you have to run cable to get to some sort of major access point or pop or About not 50 pop? Meters. 50 meters. That's why we chose our, our head end where it is. It's right next to dark fiber. Ah, it's, okay. It's so you're lucky there. It's a little tiny that. field away from dark fiber. Mm-hmm. And so it's called the Rec, this place, and it's the recreation center for the village of Quorma. And it's got a tennis court and a bowling green and a little hall. And they're hosting our main hub, our main cabinet, and getting a free connection. So it'll be the fastest wreck in the world, will this? And um, there's a company in this country called Geo, which has dark fiber all over the place. And uh, they've agreed to, to lease us one of their dark fibers. And that goes straight into peering at Manchester. So we have to pay rent for that dark fibre all the way back to Manchester, which is our nearest peering point, uh, Edge IX or something it's called. I'm not technical, but it goes straight into this little gadget in, in the peering centre. The little gadget came yesterday. It takes two men to lift it, but that's going to be installed in the peering centre, possibly today or tomorrow. Um, and then our fibre will be lit. And then we have gigabit peering well we have 40 gig i think we're getting 40 gig i don't know we're getting a lot anyway far more than we need mm-hmm. uh, we put whatever we want down this dark fiber and then on top of that we have to buy um things that we're not peering so we'll peer with uh everybody who peers in manchester that's bbc google all that but anything extra then we'll have to buy as backhaul and then we've got another company helping us out with that and we buy our extra backhaul from them and that's about as technical as i do actually i know we've got i know we've got we've got two of these hubs at each end of our network there's five hubs all together but the two main ones both have a 10 gig feed into them from the geo fiber the second one at arcom isn't finished yet it's it the hub's delivered but the electrics aren't in yet we got the electrics in the quorma one yesterday um and that will give us resilience because it will be a circular network. And if one bit of it's cut, you know, if somebody digs into a pipe or something and breaks it, it won't matter because all the properties each side will be fed from the other end. It's a, it's a big circle, a real big spider's web. Right, and it's a loop of, uh, you got a, sort of this bigger loop, and then you got all the little spokes coming off of that and so forth. That... Um... That brings up questions. So, who's responsible for actually, I don't know, operating the network? I, I gather that there are various people that are contributing uh, to it. Everyone, you know, is, is contributing its part-time kind of work in some respects. But is there a couple of people who are like full-on responsible for the net uh, for the network day and night, or? is the idea that this network, all the gadgets and everything will run themselves? Well, in an ideal world, all the gadgets would run themselves. But in reality, yes, there will be full-time staff employed to keep an eye on the network. 
there'll be alarm bells go off if anything goes wrong with the network and there'll be technicians available 24-7. And there'll be also, uh, I think, well, we're hoping, well, we know because of all the research we've done, that fibre networks just work. Most of mm-hmm. the time, the fibre networks just work. The main thing that goes wrong with the fibre network is the light bulb goes, isn't it? And the <laughs> light bulbs are quite easily to, easy to change. They're the, they're the only real things that go wrong, apart from it getting cut. If it gets cut, we've got trained people to mend the cut, and it'll be done just as quick or probably quicker than any other company could mend a break. So we're not worried about that. We're not worried about our equipment because we've got very good equipment and we've got very good people who know how to look after it. And we'll be, our, we'll be an ISP and we will have the same staff as any other ISP and hopefully they'll all be from our community. If not, we'll have to pay somebody outside the community. But our first protocol is always a community member. And if we haven't got the skill we will pay to get that skill into them. We'll pay for the training. So, again, it comes back to the full um, community involvement model, if you will. I mean, calling it a model is a fair uh, word to use, but basically it is a community project. It is a community asset. It's a, um, you know, full-on community responsibility. Yeah. And we also feel that's another good reason for shares because if you own a share in the company, you'll help to look after it to protect your share, won't you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's because you own it, it's your company. You're proud of your company. So you'll look after it, won't you? So if you see kids kicking a football against your hub, you'll ask them to desist, won't you? <laughs> kids, <laughs> get off my just, property! <laughs> if, it was just, if it was just any old uh, hub belonging to any old telco, you, you might just say uh, stop it and then move on. But if it's your hub, then you'll move the kids away if necessary, won't you? Mm-hmm. You'll look after your asset because it's yours, basically. How big do you think this could grow in terms of, like, what's the biggest community you think that could conceivably do what you guys are doing? I mean, in some respects, what you do is very much contour uh, uh, contour to your uh, your needs, your location, your geography, all of that. But But how much of that concept of fund your own, build your own, run your own, like you know, can it can it go up to small towns? Can it go up to mid-sized towns? I mean, can it go beyond just the real rural areas? Uh, definitely, definitely. That's one thing that came out of all the work we did with the EU last month. We we got a forum going and asked lots of people different things, and the consensus of opinion seemed to be that if these alt nets got going and they built proper networks with proper fibre and get it back to peering so that everything's cheap. It's cheap to run. It's affordable by small-ish communities. And those communities, you don't even bother trying to engage the townships because the townships have a broadband connection that works, that they can afford. So you you don't bother trying to get your shares from them or get them digging because they'll just turn around and say, oh, well, we've got broadband. It does what we want to do. You help the people who have nothing 
or who have very expensive satellite broadband that they can't they have to turn off in the daytime because the kids rack up data charges so mm-hmm. those are the people you target because they're the ones who actually want you and want to be part of you so then you end up encircling a township and you leave them alone because you you know that they will then go and visit the friends in the country and say well heck your broadband's tons better than mine how much do you pay for it heck you pay half as much as me and it's 10 times better how do i get onto your service and before you know it the people in the little villages and towns nearby will want to join your network so your network will grow and then the incumbents who are still providing a service through the phone lines will start to notice that their customer base is dwindling and they'll think where's all our customers going and they'll see that they're going down to the fiber network which is only charging half the price and delivering a much better service and they'll think well we've got to stop that and they'll lay fiber in in competition with you which is fair enough you, you do not need to be frightened of fair competition um, and everybody wins then and and people will stop thinking that they can get a decent future-proof connection through a phone line phone lines were not designed for for this there's only fiber can deliver what we need Mm-hmm. So, in, if you in, don't get a town on, you will you stand to make quite a lot of money mm-hmm. because you've a you've a lot of people in one place. Whereas we're going two or three kilometres at a time from farm to farm. That's how we're building our network from farm to farm. So it's it's very expensive when you've got all that way to dig. Whereas you hit a hit a place with two hundred and twenty people like Ray. If everybody in Ray wanted it, that would make it you know, really worthwhile doing Ray. But of course, everybody in Ray won't want it because half of them will have a connection that's suitable for their needs at the moment. But as time goes on, they'll realise it's not suitable and they can't stream videos on different televisions all day long and they can't do the e-health on it because there's no... And they can't be a citizen journalist and stream videos out to the world because there's no upload. Uh, So eventually, I think... The little villages will all go on to the fibre. But if you could get the towns, I mean, you would make a lot of money. But mm-hmm. the telcos won't let you. They'll they'll start laying fibre then and stop pretending copper's, copper's good enough. But in some respects, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you can build a, a, an infrastructure, um, make or save money by building it, and then somehow inspire other communities to um, both look at that as an option, but also force uh, larger companies, telecom companies, to provide fiber. You, you yeah. served a dual role sort of in absentia. Yeah, it's win-win. We all get a decent connect- connection. We all become digital citizens, um, and the government saves the fortune. Mm-hmm. And the health service saves the fortune, and the education service saves the fortune once we're all digital. But you can't make people digital. They've got to want to be. They've got to see something in it for them. And it's not necessarily sitting in front of a computer learning Microsoft Word. It, it, it's what the Internet does for you, not computers. I mean, I know families who will take a connection and, and won't even bother having a computer They'll have the smartphones in the pocket. They'll have the internet television into the television to save paying for satellite charges. They'll have webcams. 
that go straight to the telly so they can watch the stock, they can watch the diesel tank, they can keep an eye on the tool sheds. They won't have a computer, some families. It's not about computers, it's about mm-hmm. internet, isn't it? So let's talk about the politics for a minute here. Um, how much support have you has broadband received in rural areas from the national government? Uh, uh, I don't really know of any, to be honest. So they've just, in essence, washed their hands of broadband oh, no, in no, rural they, areas? They are trying. No, they are trying. We've got a a group called BDUK, Broadband Delivery UK, in in the UK, and they have £530 million to to share out. Uh, But as you can imagine, that's not going to go very far, is it? Mm -hmm. So they're picking projects. um, They've they've sort of shared the money out to all the different counties in the country who have to match fund it with with money that, that they've saved up. And then whoever wants to get that money also has to match fund it. Um, so it's like it like quadruples the the pot basically, or mm-hmm. close enough. And then, but as far as I know, there aren't any communities, community networks going to benefit from it. I think it's all going to be big operators. Well, it looks like it's going to be one big operator actually, who will benefit from it. And um, they will help as many people as they can with that money. And that means it won't be the really rural people. It won't be the farmers. Because to be sensible, what you've got to do is the bigger towns and put fibre to the cabinet in. And so people will get a faster connection. A lot of people will get a faster connection than they've got now. And a lot of people will go online and a lot of people will be happy. But there'll still be the rural people who won't be very happy. They're guaranteed two meg with 0.38 upload, which is no use in this day and age. It's better than nothing. It's better than dial-up, but um, they can't. I mean, the country hasn't got enough money to spare, and they seem to want to put it into a faster train from Birmingham to London, actually. You shouldn't get me started on politics because I can't really think of anything positive to say about it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, I um well, you know, we, we have similar issues here. I mean I think a lot of people who have looked at the um the broadband stimulus program here in the US and and then they you know, it was seven billion dollars and some change, yet there's a feeling that all that could be done for rural areas isn't being done. And people in low income Urban areas even feel like their their communities were looked over as well. I mean, basically, we we spent a certain amount of that money with incumbents, and a certain amount of money went into, in essence, building up areas that are already being served. In other words, they took it as a capital improvement fund as opposed to a yeah. you know the, fill in the, the 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 totally unserved areas, yeah. and and that's a bit of a that's a bit of a challenge. Now you you're um, you or, or several of your colleagues have had some meetings with the um, EU in in the last couple of weeks. What was the um, what were those efforts about, and what were the the outcomes? Well, that was that was to do with this um, digital assembly uh, in Brussels, and they wanted 
us to be animators of the discussion, which meant that we got as many people as we could involved in the discussions about how to get broadband, high-speed broadband, to everybody, and especially the rural people. And these forums went on for a couple of months, and then they ended up in a workshop in Brussels to be discussed. And to my mind, I was there, and to my mind, it turned out that um, the panels on the workshops were mainly again, the cities and the incumbents, and again, they totally focus on helping the majority. And in my eyes, and in the eyes of most of the people on the forum, the consensus of opinion was, if you help the minority first and provide some competition, the incumbents will look after the majority themselves rather than lose customers. That was the result of the discussions on the forum but it did tend to get ignored in the workshops, and I did make the point that it had been ignored in the workshops. And Neely Cruz, who is the vice president of the digital digital agenda for Europe, uh, she was really impressed with with Barn and what we were trying to do, and she's asked us to be part of a team as uh, young advisors, um, just feeding information to her and letting her know how we go on. So every country in Europe has different problems, um, and it's only by learning all the different problems in the different countries that the Digital Assembly can start to make, to have ideas on how to help each different country. But I think generally speaking, if you help the ones who have nothing get something, and then everybody has something, and there is a bit of competition for the people who've been ruling the roost for far too long with these copper phone lines. It can only be for the greater good of all our countries, including the USA. Mm-hmm. But you've no. got fibre networks already, I believe, from what I'm hearing. We have a lot. I mean, it's it's somewhat complicated to explain the full-on nature of our um, <laughs> of our condition here in 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 the U.S. Uh, but basically we do have the issue of a lot of incumbents, and incumbents are very much wedded to still trying to squeeze every penny out of the old copper systems that are in place. And then you have this money that was supposed to support broadband and and improving the infrastructure. We've got several different avenues of funding into that goal, if you will, but when all the dust clears, what you typically have are, um, you know, the larger companies getting it, the the community networks that have the ability to build the best infrastructure with the fastest service and usually at more affordable rates mm-hmm. are being legislated out of the picture at the um, state level. Yeah, um, and and that just makes people crazy because. Usually the the effort amounts to well, we're not going to build to the to the rural areas, but if you try to do your own, we're going to come in and squash it. Gonna, yeah, you know, yeah. and it just goes on, and so it's sort of this never-ending battle. You know, we are the uh, the Luke Skywalkers, and you know <laughs> we're waiting for the Death Star to hover over you know some other community and try to you know blast them out of existence i mean <laughs> you talk about your uh your soapbox i, I mine gets pretty animated too some from time <laughs> to time so let's uh we've we you know we got about seven eight minutes left 
let's talk about some, you know, put on your consultant cap to other communities. <coughs> Excuse me. What are some key points of advice you could give others? Uh, make sure you talk to your communities first. Make sure you know <laughs> what they want. Sorry, go ahead. If 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 they don't want it, you're just wasting your time. You you talk to your communities first, and then you you engage with them and and see your key people come through. Your key people will come through. They'll make contact with you, and they'll say, "I want to do some VoIP. You know, can I can I look into all the VoIP for you and set that mm-hmm. up for you one day when you get going?" And your other key people who say, "You know, I'm really interested in digging." You know, can I help with that? They will come. They, they just come out of the woodwork. All your key people. Um, what else? Um, I don't know. Buy dynamite for rocks. <laughs> uh, that's what we had to do when we laid our own water pipe thirty years ago. We had to dynamite it in. Um, key point. I think it's the community. I think you have to listen to your community when you're planning your route. You, you can plan your routes to the best of your ability and say that's how we're going from A to B. But then you have to go and talk to the people who live and work on that land and you'll find very often that your routes are wrong and, and you've chosen to go through a very boggy place or a very rocky place or a deep gully that you didn't know was there. And you talk to the farmer and the farmer says, no, lass, you don't go that way. You just go around this field here and it'll be a ton easier for you. And you think, oh, yeah, right, and you change your map. So the actual, you know, you could say you've designed this network, but you haven't. It's the people have designed this network because they know the shortest cuts, the shortest routes, the best routes. So it's all local knowledge. They know they know culverts under, under paths so you don't have to dig through a path. Uh, they know somebody who can meld, mend your mole plough if you break it. If you're trying to get under a wall and you've forgotten your crowbar, you can just go to the nearest farm and say, can I borrow your crowbar? And uh, it's, it's the locals. It's like a plague of ants, really. You know, how do you, how do you eat an elephant? I, I remember seeing a film when I was little about uh, the ants <coughs> in the earth and there was this massive big elephant and the ants just away with this elephant. Thousands and thousands and thousands of ants all took a little tiny bit of this elephant away till it was just bones. And that's what, what the community has to do. So it's no good there only being half a dozen of you. That's not going to get you very far. You've got to engage your whole community. And then when you've got farmers who don't know what the internet is, they have no intention of getting a computer, and you go and talk to them because they're a part of your community, somebody goes to talk to them and, and you say, can we come across your land? And they say, of course you can. It's a community project. You know, we're all happy <coughs> Community, and that's how it, this sort of project works. It's not really a, a monetary thing, and it cannot be replicated unless you've got this sort of community engagement that we've got. So, in your mind, is the key benefit the access, or is there a specific use <clears throat> or a specific application that you see as being the the I don't know main driver behind this project? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. It's just it's just everybody around here has wanted to be on the internet for a long time. We've, we've done um, a Wi-Fi community project to help people and given them Wi-Fi internet, 
We've also done free Wi-Fi in the village as part of a living lab experiment for the university. So the whole village had access to free Wi-Fi and we couldn't get enough feed into the village and so it went really slow. And so a lot of people went on to the uh, phone line broadband, which eased the problem a bit. And then web pages got bigger and somebody invented YouTube and iPlayer and videos and the network would hardly work at all. So the university um, increased the spec on the network and the project went on. And people from the nearby villages came to upload and download stuff and get the updates for Windows or Apple and that they couldn't do at home on dial-up. And people started to use the internet for different things and realised they really wanted it. And so they're all, they were all sort of primed to want it for different reasons. And then there's a spate of the diesel thefts where people's diesel tanks were getting emptied overnight and people wanted to be able to watch them on security cameras while well, you can't run them on, on dial-up. And there's all sorts of reasons why people want it. We've got um, people who want to stay in their own homes when they're older and they know that if, if the children can see them every day on Skype, the children will leave them in peace. Whereas if the children are worried that the, the parents are getting old and they're not very well and uh, they'll start nagging them, come and live with us, you know, in the town and... People don't want to go and live with the children. They want to stay in their own homes. And <clears throat> children can see them every day and see that they're washed and dressed and their hair's combed and they're looking okay. Then the children will think, oh, that's great. Mum and dad's okay. That's another worry less. And they'll leave them be, won't they? Instead of making well, logical them makes sense. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is uh, all very interesting, I have to say. Um, you know, more so, it's sort of the embodiment of a lot of things that, you know, the more uh, progressive folks here in the U.S. have been advocating, you know, as far as take charge, take control, self-reliance, and so forth. And yeah. so, in in many respects, you guys have grabbed the bull by the horns, if I can use that particular analogy. It does and... feel like that some days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but in the end, I think you have a you know you have a winning product, and that product being you know broadband. That's true community broadband. So I I you know applaud your efforts and wish them well, and I will continue to follow them because I think that they you know represent a um, you know the the continual move forward. And so I want to thank you for <clears throat> spending time and and going over the particulars of how you guys have done what you've done. Uh, thank well, you for being here. There's more on the website if anybody wants to look at the business plan far more than I've managed to explain today. <laughs> but it's all there, and we're trying to keep everything, you know, as public as possible, then people mm -hmm. can watch and learn. Good. Yeah. Well, I will uh, add the the URL to the um, to the description to the archive of this particular show, so people can uh, click on that and uh, be able to I get additional information. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I am going to let you get back to – oh, it's, it's bedtime there. I'm going to let you uh, <laughs> read a good book and, and go on with your evening there. Uh, thanks again, Chris. This has been very enlightening and extremely motivating, and so I appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us on. No worries. And and thank you to our audience, uh, you know, once again, for checking in with us and, and learning more about broadband and how to get it done. 
thanks to our sponsor, Hiawatha Broadband Communications, uh, who's been our sponsor now for a while. Uh, we appreciate their support. Everyone, we will talk again soon. Thank you, and have a great day.